Section 52 of Christmas and Christmas Lore. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Christmas and Christmas Lore by Thomas G. Crippen. Section 52, Twelfth Night. According to ecclesiastical order, the evening service shortly after sunset on 5th of January is the first Vespers of Epiphany. But in spite of church calendars, most people will persist in beginning the day with the morning, and so Twelfth Night commences at sunset on 6th of January. In Gloucestershire and Herefordshire, it was usual at that time to light twelve small fires, and one large one, in a field sown with wheat. This was vulgarly regarded as a charm to protect the wheat from smut. But in Ireland there was a variant of the custom. A sieve full of oats was set up as high as was conveniently practicable. Twelve lighted candles were set in the grain, with a larger one in the middle. The original meaning of these customs is quite forgotten. Some say the fires or lights were intended to symbolise Christ and his twelve apostles as the lights of the world, while others regard them as a survival from the Yule fires of heathen sun-worship. At Bro in Westmoreland, there was a custom which, though observed on Twelfth Night, seems reminiscent of some antiquated form of the Christmas tree. A holly bush, or sometimes a young ash tree, was prepared by fastening a torch to every branch. These were lighted. The tree was carried round the village accompanied with music and torches, and was saluted at certain stations. When the torches had burnt out, the tree was scrambled for by the respective partisans of the two village inns, and the victorious party carried it to their favoured hostel, where the night was spent in merry-making. In many village inns in the west of England, the host kept open house on Twelfth Night. The ashen faggot blazed upon the hearth, and the mirth and fun grew fast and furious, and it is to be feared the virtue of sobriety was not always duly cultivated. But the Twelfth Night supper was the culmination of all. In the middle of the table was set a huge cake, in which was hidden a coin, or a bean, and a pea. The cake being divided, he who had the coin, or the bean, was saluted as king, and the holder of the pea as queen. Presumably if a lady drew the bean, she would nominate the king, and vice versa. A mock court was constituted, the officers and titles being assigned by lot, and the fun consisted in the characters being maintained throughout the evening. These characters were written or printed on slips of paper and drawn from a hat. At least, that was the English custom in the time of Charles II. Later, pictorial characters with verses were introduced, which were supplied by pastry cooks and confectioners. These are said to have been devised by one John Britton, topographer and antiquary, 1771-1857. to they were at first courtly, historical, or legendary, 
or taken from the popular comedies of the day. The custom continued till far into the 19th century, but was at length killed by the introduction of coarse and offensive characters, like Sir Gregory Goose or Sir Tunbelly Clumsy. It is not unlikely that the grotesque headdresses of modern Christmas crackers have some relation to the extinct Twelfth Night characters. As to the cake, an early recipe informs us that it was made of flour, honey, ginger, and pepper, but in Herrick's time it was an ordinary plum cake. By the end of the 18th century it was elaborately adorned with more or less artistic figures in sugar or plaster, often gaudily coloured. We read of one cake in the form of a fortress with sentinels and flags. Some of the devices were grotesque or humorous. The writer remembers seeing in his childhood, about 1851 or 1852, a cake crowned with a realistic presentation of the mill where they grind old women young. The cakes were often of great size, the price sometimes amounting to several guineas. Hone tells us that in his day, the time of the Regency and of George the Fourth, these cakes made a glorious show in every confectioner's shop window, and it was a favourite prank of the London street boys to pin together the coats or gowns of the people who clustered around, or dexterously to nail a coat to the bottom of a window frame. Of course, this was before the advent of the new police. One Baddeley, an actor who had formerly been a cook, bequeathed in 1795 a sum of money to provide cake and wine for the performers in the green room of Drury Lane Theatre on Twelfth Night. And to the present time, after the lapse of more than a century, the ceremonial cutting of Baddeley's cake is regularly continued. In France, the king or queen was the only distinguished character used. Usually the cake was cut up, and a child covered with a cloth named the recipient of each piece. The first piece was for le bon Dieu, and the second for the Blessed Virgin. These were given to some poor persons, and if either of them contained the bean, the king was chosen by lot. All drank the king's health, and whenever he had occasion for liquid refreshment, the whole company shouted, The king drinks! The customary twelfth night tipple was the lamb's wool, already described. To this, Kirchmeyer, or his translator, Barnaby Googe, adds that the twelfth night king was, with shouts and cries exalted to the heavens up, who, taking chalk in hand, doth make a cross on every beam and rafter as they stand. Great force and power have these against all injuries and harms of goblins, devils, bugs and sprites, of conjuring and charms. So much this king can do, so much the crosses bring to pass, made by some servant, maid or child, or by some foolish ass. In the west of England, where the reformed calendar was slowly and reluctantly accepted, the ceremonies of Epiphany were for several generations 
deferred till the twelfth day after Christmas, old style, so that the old twelfth night was 17th of January, which was deemed the proper time for wassailing both the cattle and the orchards. Christmas was supposed to end with twelfth night, which in Normandy was marked by bonfires. In Sweden, the date is the octave of Epiphany, 13th of January, called St. Knut's Day. King Knut, who died in 1036, forbade all fasting from Christmas to that date. On that day, the young people dance round the table from which all provisions are then removed, and the household, in a kind of mimic fight, pretend to drive away any guests who may remain. End of section 52 Recording by Jane Bennett